Hi, I'm James P. Friel. And I'm Dean Holland. It's time to fasten your seatbelts, boys and girls. That's right. If you're an entrepreneur who's wanting to take your business to the next level and have a bit of fun while getting cutting edge advice on your business, marketing, and sales, welcome to Just the Tips, arguably the best podcast in the entire world. I guess that's good, right? Yeah, sounds good to me. All right. That was easy. That was the easiest thing we did all day. Yeah. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Just the Tips. We are super excited to have you with us here today. This is your host, James P. Friel. Obviously, I am joined by none other than the bearded wonder from the United Kingdom, the one, the only, the amazing Mr. Dean Holland. <laughs> Good day, James. Good day. <laughs> that was very <laughs> British of you. Thank you for that. <laughs> Good day. Good day to you, sir. I spend that much time talking or, or visiting the U.S. that sometimes I have to remind myself how I'm supposed to perform being a British guy. It's okay. At some point, we all revert back to uh, you know childish ways, and that's the same for you. It's it's all good. <laughs> but how are you doing anyway, James? Uh, excellent. Uh, very very good. I am. Uh, I'm really happy to be here on the show today. Uh, we have a incredibly cool guest um, who has a really interesting middle name, which we'll get to in just a minute. <laughs> But uh, we're actually joined today by Alan Stein Jr. Uh, he's just a phenomenal guy in terms of performance coach. He's worked with some of the best of the best, you know, in terms of like National Basketball Association people, Kevin Durant. Like, I mean, the guy's got a resume that's uh, longer than, well, we, sh- we shouldn't talk about that. But um, <laughs> in any case, Alan, welcome to the show, man. It's great to have you. Hey, I'm excited to be here. Thanks, guys. Yeah, so um, so we we learned something, Dean. You and I know this, but the audience doesn't know. We learned something interesting about Alan before we started the show. His that middle name did. is what is his middle name? Uh, that would be Alan the Ballbuster. <laughs> yeah, the Alan the Ballbuster. Um, so, Alan, how did you earn that middle name, or was it given to you at birth? Yeah, my parents have a very strange sense of humor. They thought that'd be funny, but uh, you know it, what's actually in truth. I've always loved and appreciated the relationship that you two guys have because you have a you have a deep connection, you have a solid friendship and working relationship, but you do bust each other's balls, and and I think that's a a term of endearment. I think that's a way you can show someone you care about them. Uh, and having spent twenty years in the basketball space, that's fairly normal in the athletic world. Like guys get on each yeah. other because they care about <laughs> each other, and they do. They bust chops and they bust balls. So I, I knew I'd fit in perfectly with you two. <laughs> Perfect. Definitely. Although, although this is a rare instance, you see, I had a conversation with my mum the other day, and she said, "Oh, you are uh, sort of mean to the people that you uh, you're closest to." And I said, "No, I genuinely just do not like James." <laughs> yeah, and I get that. I get that. But as long as people think that that's not the case, we can keep getting away right. with this. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's keep it going. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so Alan, I want to talk about uh, a, a bunch of things. I'm honestly, genuinely very excited to get into this conversation. But why did you get into performance and leadership and like all that stuff? Like, where did that, where did that come from? And then I want to talk about like some of the tips and strategies that you've used to help, you know, some really elite people. But why did you get into this in the first place? You know, when I reflect back, basketball was my first identifiable passion that, that I can think of. And, and I fell in love with the game at probably five or six years old. Uh, and it's been a major pillar in my life ever since. Uh, actually, I turned 43 next week. So you're talking, you know, almost four decades of the game being 
uh, something that's really important to me. And first that started as a player and then, you know, uh, was able to play in high school and then in college. And then the writing was on the wall that my playing days were going to be over. uh, And I started to develop a, a real passion for the coaching side. Um, but more so, more specifically, the strength and conditioning and fitness side, which is now what's called performance training in, in basketball. Uh, you know, I was always fascinated with ways to make myself stronger and run faster and jump higher and all that good stuff. Uh, so I started to develop an equal affinity for performance training and, and just kind of was able to combine my two passions, uh, that of the game of basketball and that of performance training. And, and I had a mentor tell me when I was very young, and I'm, I'm so thankful uh, that you know, you need to find what it is that you're good at and find what it is that you love to do and then find where those two things intersect. Uh, and that's, that's your strength zone. That's where you should be at least trying to find your vocation and, and trying to find your purpose. Uh, and that was it for me. And, you know, after about 20 years of doing that, I was just ready for a professional challenge and a change. And I decided to take all of the concepts that I had learned uh, about effective leadership and communication and team cohesion and culture and, and accountability and all of that stuff and decided to, to pivot, you know, pun intended, over to the corporate world and, and teach businesses how to utilize the same mindsets and rituals and routines that, that elite athletes use, how they can use those to be the best versions of themselves and how collectively they can you know, make their companies uh, as successful as possible. Yeah, I, th- I think that's I think that's amazing. Uh, so so we have like a, a mixed bag of people that we talk to on the show, and some of them were like, I've been an entrepreneur since you know basically since I was born. Others, be, you know, kind of turned to it later in life. And it sounds like you're, you know, you you were a you were an athlete for a significant percentage of your time, and you were just kind of part of you know um, you know performance and and winning teams and stuff like that. And what 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 was it that caused you to see? the applicability of what you were doing in the performance and sports arena to what you could do inside of businesses and organizations. Like, I think a lot of people are like, oh, like, you know, sports are one thing, but business is another thing, but you've translated that or transcended that. What, what was the kind of spark that, that caused that to happen? Well, before I answer that, I will say that, that I've been an entrepreneur since birth as well, which is unusual because <clears throat> both of my parents were elementary educators. Both of my parents were teachers, uh, very conservative, very, I mean, they both basically held the same jobs for 30 years um, and then, you know, happily retired. But I've always had that entrepreneurial bug. I mean, even as a kid, whether it was selling baseball cards or mowing people's lawns or shoveling driveways, um, I, I just always had that entrepreneurial mindset. And, and when I graduated college and decided to become a performance coach, I started my own training business. So I was still an entrepreneur. I mean, I've always been Uh, in the private industry. I've, you know, the high schools and so forth that I've worked for were just one of my clients, but I've, I've run my own business. I mean, I've never had a quote unquote real job in my life. Everything has been entrepreneurial just through the lens of basketball performance. And now as, as a professional speaker and author. So uh, I very much resonate with that entrepreneurial mindset. And, and it's one, I have three young kids and it's, it's one that I teach my children because even if they choose to go the more conventional route and get a quote unquote job for someone else, a, a salaried position, it's still the mindset. The entrepreneurial mindset is about, you know, looking for problems to solve, uh, is about, you know, innovation. I mean, it's, it's more of a mindset than whether or not you're actually an entrepreneur. And, and I think it's a mindset that, that needs to be taught to everyone, regardless of what their future vocation should be. So I'm thankful that I, I started to sharpen that saw early in life and, and it served me well since. Uh, but, to answer your actual question. Well, hold on. Oh, I yes. do want to I want to drill into that a little bit yes, more then. Please. So so with 
with two parents who are elementary educators and, you know, basically taking like a very traditional route uh, from a career path perspective, like, why, why were you the odd man out? Like, how did that happen? You know what's funny? It started, my parents are incredibly conservative and uh, it started, the first time I remember it was I wanted to get some some Jordans, some shoes, because that obviously was in alignment with the age that I was. I mean, this was when Michael Jordan was becoming the global sensation that he later became and basketball was my passion and and I wanted I wanted Jordans. And at the time, you know, you're talking late 80s, you know, they're $100, $120, which it's fairly expensive back then, especially for, you know, someone 10, 11, 12 years old. And, and my, my dad in particular was like, I just don't understand why someone would spend $120 on sneakers. You know, you can get sneakers for $40 and, and that's what we'll buy you. And I was like, well, what if I earn the money to pay the difference? You know, you put down 40, I'll put down 80 and I can have myself some Jordans. He's like, sure. Yeah, that's fine. If that's what you want to do. And so it, it really started, uh, I guess, was birthed out of kind of this materialism that I wanted things and I, I wanted nicer right. things and realized that, well, if I was going to do that, then I had to earn the money to, to do those things. And, you know, when you're 10, 11, 12 years old, there's not a whole lot of job opportunities. So, you know, cutting grass and shoveling driveways in the winter. And, you know, I, I was collecting baseball cards at the time and baseball card shows at hotels were starting to become a thing. So I just started to dive into those. And, and the primary goal then was to earn money so I could buy things. And that's certainly uh, morphed now. I'm, I'm somewhat of a minimalist now and, and I'm more into experiences than I am tangible things. But I do believe that money can give you certain securities and freedoms that allow you to live life on your terms, which is one of the major draws, I believe, to, to being an entrepreneur in the first place. Totally. Dean, what would, what, would, what would you have done at the age of 10 or 11 to make money? Potentially like breed parakeets or something? <laughs> I was waiting for that. I was, I'm surprised it took <laughs> so long. Yeah, that may indeed be one of my chosen ventures. It's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, you probably didn't know this about Dean, but uh, Dean, Alan, he was the uh, parakeet <laughs> breeding king. Let's talk about it again. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty much I was at Dean's wedding this past summer and there was a few stories that he'd kept hidden and tucked away that he'd hoped I'd never hear about. One of them was that he bred parakeets as a young entrepreneur and they all killed each other. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that that uh, that that venture just literally died. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. All right. So, well, that's awesome. That's, I didn't, uh, I'm, I'm glad you drilled into that. Now let's talk about what was that spark that caused you to see the connection between everything you were doing in the sports arena and then how you could help businesses really? Well, I had a lot of friends and colleagues that, that loved basketball. So we, we had that mutual love, but they were in the corporate world. They were either entrepreneurs or executives or, or worked at different companies. And, and we would just, you know, kind of off the cuff, just talk about uh, leadership and, and team cohesion and culture and that stuff. And it, it just started to dawn on me how much transfer there was and how much parallel there was. I mean, I know it's rather cliche because businesses have been bringing in, you know, athletes and coaches to come speak, you know, for as long as I've been on the planet. So it's not like that part mm -hmm. is new. Um, but that's what, that's what the curiosity came from it was like, okay, I've been very fortunate to see some really cool things and observe the best of the best in basketball. And, and I've worked hard on my skills as a communicator and as a coach, I, I want to see, I want to explore where, where the symmetry lies and how much harmony there is between the two. And, and the more I started to unpack, the more I realized 
they're almost identical. I mean, obviously the, the X's and O's of what it takes to be a basketball coach or the, the strategy behind what your business does, that's, that's different. But those things aside, the, the emotional intelligence and the intangibles of what it takes to be an effective leader in business are identical to what it takes to be an effective coach. And then if you break it down on the individual side, what it takes to be an entrepreneur is very similar to what it takes to be an elite athlete from a framework standpoint. Obviously, one's more geared towards physical than the others, but the concept of of having rituals and routines and respecting the process and embracing change and never getting bored with the basics, all of that stuff transfers. And, and that's why I'm having so much fun doing what I'm doing because I'm combining my previous life and my previous love with this new audience that's incredibly receptive to learning this stuff. So, so I think um, you know your comment about uh, you know businesses bringing in you know athletes and performance you know that sort of type into their business to help them has been around for a long time. I totally agree with that. But then, then you also hear like countless and countless stories of elite athletes and of people who have been in the sports world who the second that they leave that sports world, they, you know, like vanish and almost and go broke many of them. Like, but because they're not making that, that connection between those two. Like, why do you think some people make that connection and can see that? Like, because for you, the, 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 uh, the correlation is like extremely clear, right? Like athletes and entrepreneurs, coaches and managers, but then you have these people, you know, I, I, I have a friend of mine who, you know, Super Bowl winning guy. And as soon as he stopped playing football, you know, his life completely fell apart. And he actually even had to sell his Super Bowl ring mm. to, to make money. And it's like, why, why is that gap there? And uh, like, I, I guess I'm just curious because you're probably one, one of the few people who might be able to answer that question. Well, for me, luckily, as I mentioned, since I've been self-employed and run my own training businesses and consulting businesses and everything, so the parallel's always been there for me. So that was never a problem. But as far, and you're 100% correct, uh, my speculation, because I, I don't know definitively, but even using your friend as an example, there'd be a couple things. One, many athletes and coaches, they tie their their purpose uh, and, and their identity to their sport that when you pull that rug out from under them, they're like, they're like a fish out of water. They, they don't even know what to do because their entire life, especially maybe your friend could, could answer this better. He's been a football player. That's how he's identified himself as a football player. That was who he was. And then you take that away and he might not know who he is anymore. And, and I say that incredibly respectfully, cause I, I know lots of people that have fallen victim to that. Another would be he simply has a disconnect and he's not applying what he knows worked for him in football to reach the highest level to business. You know, that's actually what's called a performance gap. And I talk all of the times to businesses about that. It's the difference between what we know and what we do. And all of us as human beings, we have performance gaps. I mean, uh, any, any person listening to this right now, I guarantee you, if I ask them to make a list of the healthiest foods they know of, they could do that. If I ask them how many hours of sleep they're supposed to get every night, they could do that in a split second. And if I ask them to etch out, you know, from a physical fitness standpoint, uh, just kind of etch out what some weekly workouts should look like. How many days a week? How long should you go for? Generally, what exercises would you do? Uh, all of your listeners would be able to do that with zero problem. But then if I ask them three direct binary questions and say, are those the foods you're eating? Is that the amount of sleep you're getting? And are these the types of workouts you're doing consistently? The answer is either yes or no. 
And for a lot of people, the answer will actually be no, that they're not doing those things. But it's not from lack of knowing. It's from lack of doing. They know what they're supposed to eat. They know where they're supposed to go, but they don't do it. So that could also be a case where your your friend knows what it takes to be successful. He has he he can have the habits and the rituals and the routines and mindsets, but he he's just not applying them to this new life that he has post retirement. That would be my best guess. Totally. So let's let's talk about that a little bit because I think you know here we are, uh, you know at the early part of another year and people are looking at what do they want to do better this year? What are their goals? Like all that stuff. And I, I totally agree with you. And I, I know I've been uh, in the same situation where you're talking about with this performance gap and things that I know that I should be doing and then the things that I am doing and you know, generally trying to get that gap closer and closer together so there's no gap anymore. Yep. But what what is your, like, how do you coach people through that? How do you close that gap? Well, first is we all have to have the humility to acknowledge that all of us have performance gaps. And you can think of the the, the highest performers in the world in any vocation. I mean, you can talk about, you know, uh, Jay-Z or you can talk about Tom Brady or you could talk about someone like Kevin Durant or, I mean, anyone. They have performance gaps. They've just been able to mitigate them or eliminate the most pressing ones in their field of expertise. You know, uh, again, I don't know those people personally, but I'm pretty sure that Tom Brady and Jay-Z aren't elite, the upper 0.1% in every single aspect of their life. There's going to be something that they've probably got a performance gap, at least things that they know they're supposed to do when they don't. So first we just have to hum- have the humility to know that we've all got them. I mean, definitely I do. Uh, but Having that Dean doesn't actually. <laughs> Dean is Dean is like he's got, got a parakeet. No he's got a parakeet with- performance gap. Apparently, I mean, he <laughs> you should know what you need to do to keep those things not, alive, not and, solid, and, and he didn't hurts. execute. Yeah, he really came in hard with that, Dean. Yeah, I that, I, that I don't one, even that one cut me deep. I'm not going to lie. Oh, that, no. that was real painful. <laughs> I'm still I'm still 30 years on, not willing to admit that I got that wrong. So if we can <laughs> avoid that completely, I love it. You guys are great. <laughs> um, but but ultimately, that's you know, it, once you can acknowledge that you have them, um, I I've found that there's a a, a very basic three step process that you can go through to close any performance gap. But it's so important to understand that just because something's basic, it doesn't mean that it's easy. Those are not synonyms. And people often make the, the mistake of, of treating them like they're synonyms. I mean, what I'm going to explain to you and your listeners right now is so basic that my eight-year-old twin sons and six-year-old daughter can understand it. But it's not easy. If you to could do. still go a little slower for James's benefit, though, because <laughs> I most, uh, I most certainly high. will. But there's so many things. I mean, if you th- if you really think about it, I mean, what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur is incredibly basic. But anybody listening to this knows it's one of the hardest things that that you can ever attempt to do. I mean, ultimately, you solve a problem for someone and you create value and you give more in value than you charge in payment. And if you can do that for enough people, you have a thriving business. I mean, that's ultimately what being an entrepreneur is, solving a problem. And, totally. and va- how basic is that? But anyone listening knows that ain't so easy. So here's the three-step process. Uh, first, and I'm going to say them first in case anyone's listening to this and writing it down, and then we'll unpack them. You pick one. Number two is you do it for 66 days. And number three is you keep the spotlight on. Pick one means I want you to pick one singular behavior or one singular habit that you're going to try to improve. Now, this might be something you're going to start doing or it might be something you're going to stop doing. You should look at both sides of the coin, but it's important that you only pick one. Uh, Most people 
try to change too many things at once. And as human beings, we're not wired that way. Uh, in fact, I think that's the number one reason that New Year's resolutions fail mm. is because of the plural part that, you know, 16 days ago, people woke up and said, 2019 is going to be the best year of my life personally and for my business, because I'm going to change these four things in my business and I'm going to change these five things in my personal life. And it's going to be my year. And, you know, here we are two weeks later and most of those people aren't doing most of those things. It's because we were not yeah. designed to do a lot. So we need to have very singular focus. Uh, in fact, there was a gentleman named John Berardi who has a company called Precision Nutrition. And he did a study and he found that when a, the average person tried to change the average habit and they just tried to change one, they had an 85% chance of being successful. In the second group where they had the people try to change two behaviors at the same time and, and, and they would study them, it dropped down to 35 or 40% for either habit. And then in the third group, people that tried to change three behaviors simultaneously, it dropped down to four or five percent, which just shows across you, the board yes, for all for of them, all habits. of them. Yeah. So that's a significant drop. And the reason this is a big deal is your listeners and you guys that are entrepreneurs, that usually means you're ambitious, you're driven, you're confident. You have high self-worth. You've usually been really good at anything that you've tried to do. So with that, it's very understandable that someone believes they can change three or four things at once. And I'm not saying that it's impossible. What I'm saying is statistically, it's much more unlikely that if you want to make it stick, just pick one thing. And then number two is be relentlessly committed to doing that one thing every single day for 66 straight days. So you're either going to start a new behavior or you're going to stop one that's been undermining you. And the reason I chose 66 days, there's a ton of research out there on habits, but the most valid research I've seen says it takes approximately 66 days for the average person to make the average habit sticky. That after 66 days, it just becomes part of your flow and part of your routine. Now, there's certainly nothing magical about that. I'm not implying that if you do that on day 67, it, things are easy peasy, lemon squeezy. I mean, that's, that's not the case, but it gives you a target. And I'm a very visual guy. I literally right in front of me right now on my desk, I have a paper calendar and I have a series of big red X's for the, the gap that I'm trying to close right now for the, for the, uh, the one thing that I've picked. And that's your goal is to see if you can string 66 red X's in a row. And then the third one, and, and also one of the most important is you keep the spotlight on. And the spotlight I'm referring to is the spotlight of accountability. This is where you need to let your inner circle know. Uh, maybe not you two, because you guys are arch enemies, but you let the people that you truly, <laughs> that you trust, that you know care about you, that you know will hold you accountable, but people that you know want to see you happy and successful. And you tell them, you beg them, you ask them, hey, I'm going to try to start this new behavior for the next 66 days. And I need you to hold me accountable because I can't do it on my own. I need you to check in with me every day and ask me if I did that thing or if I didn't do that thing or whatever it is. And I need you to hold me accountable. And that, in addition to your own commitment, will heighten the chance that you're going to do what you're setting out to do. You know, one thing that unites all of us as human beings is we don't like disappointing people that we care about. So if your inner circle of trusted friends and colleagues and family member, if you know they're going to they're gonna call on you and ask, you know, hey, did you go for that run this morning? You don't want to disappoint them. So that's more likely to make you stick to what you say you're going to do. And if you pick one, you're committed for 66 days and you get your inner circle to hold you accountable, uh, you have a very good chance 
of, of changing that behavior. And then once that's become part of your behavior, now you pick something else. This is not a one and done thing. This is constant self-improvement. So, you know, we're all under construction and we're all works in progress. So over the course of a year, you could still make three or four monumental changes to your life. You're just not going to do them all at once. We're going to be much more strategic and do them one at a time. Yeah, that's amazing. How do you decide like what's a super small habit that you maybe could do? Like, cause I think some people might want to say, there's I know that there's going to be people. We're going to say, okay, I hear that. I hear it's a statistical improbability that I'm going to do more than one at the same time. But there are there are habits that are harder and easier to implement and harder and easier to stop. Absolutely. Right? Like, so how do you sort of balance that? Like, you know, maybe somebody is, you know, really trying to lose a ton of weight and they and that's going to be a big change for them versus somebody's just trying to, you know, I don't know, learn floss their teeth every day or something that may, might be a little bit smaller. Like where's where's the line on how many and how big and how to balance yeah, that. Well, I don't know if you guys have had James clear on your show, or if you're familiar with his work, but, but James has a book called, a, I love yeah, James. Yeah, I know. James I know is him. one of my favorite people and, and I know him as well. And, and most of what I've learned uh, about habits, I've learned from James and I, I'm kind of seeing his gospel when I share it with others. Uh, and he talks a couple things that are really important. He talks about habit stacking, um, which is definitely something anyone listening, you should go get James book, atomic habits and, and read about uh, habit stacking. And he talks about ways to either increase or lower friction to make things either harder or easier, depending on whether you're trying to start or stop something. Uh, so what you just said is incredibly insightful and right on point. Uh, my belief though, is we still want to have the singular focus, at least for simplicity to start. But what lots of times what you'll notice is once you start one behavior, it starts to affect your decisions in other areas. Uh, since I used health and fitness earlier, let's just use that. Let's say there's entrepreneurial listening who have been so devoted to building their company and their startup that they've they've let their own personal fitness and well-being go. They're, they're not doing what they know they should be doing. Well, if you look at that, that's probably a combination of, you know, they're not working out, they're not getting the sleep, they're not eating as well as they should. It's usually a variety of different things. And I'm saying, don't try to change all of those at once. Don't say you're going to go throw out everything in your refrigerator and cupboard and you're going to hire a nutritionist and you're going to buy all new food and then you're going to hire a person trainer. You're going to take a yoga class on Wednesday. You're going to do soul cycle on Fridays and Sunday mornings. You're going to do you're, like, don't do all of that. Just say to yourself, <laughs> right. every single morning, I'm going to go for a 30 minute walk before I, I check email or before I do any type of work, a 30 minute walk. And if you, you live in a warmer climate and you can do it outside, wonderful. I'm here in the DC area. It's 27 degrees right now. Do it on a treadmill or, or whatever. Walk around the mall. Who cares? But just say that the only thing you're going to 100% commit to is going for a 30 minute walk every single day. That's what you're going to do your 66 red X's with. That's what you're going to tell your family members and friends and colleagues. Hey, check in with me every day to confirm that I went on my walk. And once you make that commitment and you start getting in that groove, it will start to affect some of the other areas. I'm willing to bet that after you've done that for a couple of weeks, you think twice about getting the the double bacon cheeseburger for lunch instead of getting, say, a, a spinach salad with salmon. It, you start to think differently because of, of what you're starting to ingrain in that other habit. And, and you can try to do other things at once, but I recommend just making one of them your focal point. So don't try to change everything, but over time, some of those will change. And then with James and the habit stacking, then you can start to add some stuff to that. So a, a perfect habit stack would be every time after I go for a walk, I'm going to have an egg white omelet. 
Like I'm going to stack those two things together. So anytime I go for a walk, the very next thing I do is have an egg white omelet. And then that will be, make it easier to start adding that in. And, and, and that's, that's right. ultimately the, the momentum that we want to start creating. And, and it's okay to make those other choices, but you're not going to, you're not going to beat yourself up if you don't do some of the other peripheral ones. Your whole focus is I'm just going to go for a walk for the next 66 days. So I want to I want to maybe take this and then and then apply it to say all right so that's great on an individual level but you do, you do a lot of uh you know work in terms of you know organizations and leadership and things like that how do how do these concepts apply in the business when you're dealing with with teams and organizational change and things like that there's what I call a success flow when we're working with an organization and most people, uh, they they've heard of the word culture and, and that's kind of a buzzword. It's a buzzword in sports. It's a buzzword in business. And funny enough, most people have trouble defining it, saying exactly what it is or even how to measure it. And the way I look at it is the very first step for any business or organization, they need to know what their identity is. They need to know like, who are we? What do we believe? Who do we serve? What do we serve? Why are we in existence? Why do I expect all of my colleagues to make personal sacrifices for this thing? What is our North Star? And, and, and those types of internal reflective questions of high self-awareness, the answer to those questions is your identity. Then from your identity, you collectively create standards to uphold that identity. And standards are similar in theory to rules and guidelines. But what's different is the old archaic model of, of leadership is top down. It's I'm the, I'm the founder, I'm the CEO, here are 10 rules and all of you have to follow them or it's your ass and you're gone. And, and that doesn't work well. That's not how people are motivated. People are motivated by having their voice heard and by being able to contribute. So standards are collectively agreed upon by the group where everyone says, hey, in order for us to live out this identity, here are the things that we need to do on a daily basis in order to make that happen. And, you know, perfect example, let's just say um, with our company, the three of us start a company and we say being prompt and being on time is a standard. Being prompt shows the other person that you respect and value their time. And it's the only way we can efficiently get everything done. So we need to make sure that we are prompt for all meetings, uh, for all sales calls, for all, all company functions. And, and all of us look around and say, yes, we agree. That will be one of our standards. So we all know now that in order to be the best company we can be, we all have to be prompt and on time for everything that we do. And, and obviously that's one standard, a very simplified one. There'll be others. Then the next step, which really piggybacks onto what you asked, is the accountability portion. This is where uh, accountability can't just be vertical. It can't just be, I'm the boss, I hold you accountable. Accountability needs to be horizontal as well. It needs to be from teammate to teammate, from colleague to colleague, and it, is, it also needs to go up the ladder as well as down, which means, you know, uh, James, you might be my superior, but I'm still going to hold you accountable. If you're late to our next team meeting, I'm your equal in this case. I'm your peer. I'm going to hold you accountable to the fact that you weren't on time. And when everyone is right. open to doing that, it, then we've got mm. something really, really special. And it's, it's so important for people to realize that holding someone accountable is not something you do to them. It's something you do for them. It's a gift. It's, it's the ultimate way that you show someone else that you care about them and you care about the company's mission and vision. Because if I'm holding you accountable, uh, that's telling you, like, James, Dean, I, 
I believe in you guys. I think you're better than the work that you're showing. I think you're capable of giving a better effort or having a better attitude or submitting a better proposal, whatever it may be. You're better than this. And I'm not going to let that slide because I care enough about you as a human being. And I care enough about this company that I want to protect it. And I know that you're better than this. So I need you to pick it up. And when everyone is open to that type of attitude, then you see performance go through the roof. And then that leads us ultimately to culture and culture is the degree at which everyone holds everyone else accountable to the standards that you created for the identity that you have. And your culture is the number one determining factor in your long-term sustainable results. And it's true in business and it's true in sport. And that's, that's really the success flow that once again is very, very basic, but it's certainly not easy. I mean, the vast majority of companies out there don't do what I just so basically described because it's that hard to do. Do you think it's that hard to do or do you think it's what you said earlier, like it's a basic thing, but it's like people just don't do it and there's that performance gap there for, for from an organizational level? It's probably yeah. both. I mean, uh, while, I, while I was describing that success flow, I'm willing to bet uh, even you two and your listeners were probably nodding in acknowledgement that, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I could see why a company should be doing that. But there's always going to be little tripwires and, and landmines that prevent us from doing those things. And, and lots of times, I mean, it... It takes, I, I firmly believe that one of the, the best qualities of an effective leader is humility, empathy, compassion, you know, openness. It's having a really high emotional IQ and you have to have humility and openness to allow someone else to hold you accountable without getting defensive. So if I hold you guys accountable for not giving your best effort, that takes a very high emotional intelligence for you guys not to get defensive, not to keep score, not to point the finger right. back at me. And to take a deep breath and go, you know what? You're right, Alan. I could have done a better job with that. I will do a better job next time because I know you and everyone else is counting on me. I mean, that is from a, from a human dynamic standpoint, that's not easy for any of us to do. But that's also why having a thriving, successful, long-term business is not easy to have. I mean, if you do the things others don't do, you'll have the things others don't have. And that's, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, that's awesome. Dean, this has like been pure fire. I know. This is gold. I'm soaking yeah. it right now. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> well, one of the well, one of the yeah, funny things is, awesome. is it, it's interesting when I do these podcasts or even as a professional speaker, I really believe that one of the most valuable skill sets a human being can have and a leader can have is what you two guys are doing so brilliantly right now, which is actively listening. I mean, I'm dominating the conversation, which almost makes me uncomfortable because I've worked really hard to become a better active listener. But but listening is one of the primary skill sets as a leader. And it's one of the primary skill sets in sales. And everybody listening to this, sales is a component of your business. I mean, you are selling a product or a service and you have to realize that telling is not selling. That if you really want to, to solve someone's problem and you really want to sell them something, the key is in the listening. It's asking the right questions. And in fact, if you ask the right questions at the right time, you don't have to sell anyone anything. They're going to convince themselves to buy whatever it is you have if you ask the right questions. And so it's you, you guys are doing a masterful job of one of the most important skills that anyone can have, which is active listening. And I, I really and truly appreciate that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's been awesome having you on the show, Alan. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so, so I know you've got a book coming out. And I'd love to just take a minute or two and tell people, like, for you to tell people a little bit about the book and where they could go and get it if they want to pick up a copy and kind of dig deeper into uh, you know what you've been talking sure. about here. Yeah, the book, it actually came out last week, came out January 8th. I don't know when this episode will drop, but it's uh, it's called Raise Your Game, 
high performance secrets from the best of the best. And it really is. It talks all about the transfer between sport and business. Uh, and it's, it's a circle. It goes both ways. It's, it's, you know, coaches and athletes can and should read it because they'll learn some things from the case studies of the best businesses and business executives and entrepreneurs and managers should absolutely read it because they'll learn you know, from, from the high performing basketball players that I've had a chance to be around. And, uh, yeah, having the book come out, has been a lot of fun. It's, uh, you can go to raise your Uh, you can get it at any major retailer. If you're a brick and mortar person, stop into your Barnes and Noble. Uh, if you're kind of a click now, Amazon person, that's cool. Uh, if you've been mesmerized by my melodic and sexy voice, there is the audio book that I did the read for. So you've got nine hours of, of me making a Wolverine purr over here. So yeah, enjoy yourselves. <laughs> that's awesome well you can you can be sure that's what dean and i will do we're both getting the mp3 right now i love it yeah. it's already happening yeah that's amazing uh dean any uh any parting thoughts before we uh before we wrap up today well there's two things actually so thanks for asking james um so firstly uh great great talking to you and i think one of the things that i've loved here is how like like you just say we're sitting back and listening but the way you've delivered things and simplified it has just been totally cool. It's been totally awesome. So I appreciate that and everything you've shared. The other thing is, and I don't know if I'm just putting you on the spot here and you don't even want to answer this, but I'm going to try anyway. You mentioned earlier that you have your own 66-day calendar there with the Red Crosses. Yep. I just wonder if you're going to uh, share with us what your gap is that you're closing right now. You know, as I look at all the pillars in my life, the the biggest gap for me has been on the financial side. Uh, I have not made as wise of financial decisions, uh, as I was capable of. And, uh, that's the area that I'm, I'm trying to fix right now. And primarily it's making sure that I'm setting up appropriately for the future. Uh, as I mentioned, I've got three young kids, uh, eight year old twin sons and a six year old daughter, uh, and making sure that as an entrepreneur, that as much as I love what I'm doing, and I hope that I'm doing this for a long time, that I'm putting myself in a position to be financially free, that I don't have to work when I'm older, I'll choose to work. And that most importantly, that my family and my children will be taken care of uh, if anything were to happen to me, because I know that tomorrow is not promised. I mean, I was on a flight home from Chicago this morning and I'm very thankful it landed and my car got from the airport back to my home office here. But I know that the next time I get on a flight or the next time I get in a car, that could be the last thing that I ever do. And I want to make sure that that I've been responsible enough to lay a foundation that my my kids will be taken care of. And and for most of my life, admittedly, I've done a very poor job with that. So my performance gap at present it revolves around finances and making better decisions financially because I make really good decisions with my own health and fitness. And I make really good decisions with my connectivity and, and with my children and my friends and my colleagues. So there's some other areas that I have very narrow performance gaps and I'm very thankful. I just need to close the one in this financial loop. Yeah, that's, you know, and, and I think, you know, from an entrepreneurial perspective, I feel like that is a gap that a lot of entrepreneurs have. You know, there's there's a tendency to almost get seduced by well, I can just go out and I can create money and I can, you know, build a business and I can do all these different things. And and it's and it's almost that as the reason for lack of financial responsibility yeah. sometimes because you're like, well, it doesn't matter. Like I'll just I'll just figure it out. And I think that's great to have that optimism that you can always figure things out. But like exactly like you're saying, like you never know what's going to happen, right? And you got to make sure you're taking care of that stuff. And so, you know, I certainly appreciate you you know being as vulnerable and sharing that with yeah. with us but but I think that's a great lesson for for all of our listeners um you know for for all of us is to say hey look we we've got to make sure that we're 
you know, not just excited and, and motivated about everything that's going to happen tomorrow, but we're actually taking care of stuff yeah. just in and case. You know, I'll take it one step further. I know you guys are trying to wrap up, but if you think about like from a business standpoint, if you're the, the founder and the CEO and you've got, I don't know, 20 people working for you or 200 people working for you, I mean, those people are counting on you. That's their livelihood. And you have to ask yourself, have you created a culture and an infrastructure that if your plane doesn't land or your car doesn't arrive safely, how's your business going to be? You know, uh, using a basketball example, I believe it was two years ago, uh, Steve Kerr, who's the head coach of Golden State Warriors, who are, I mean, just dominant in the NBA right now, um, he had a major back issue and he had to go out for surgery and he missed almost the entire season. And in his absence, they broke the NBA record for most consecutive games won and they went on to win another NBA championship. And a novice would look at that and go, oh, boy, he's easily replaceable. He must not be that good of a coach because clearly whoever stepped in was able to win games and they are 100% incorrect and misled on that. In fact, he is such, it's about the best compliment you can give a leader is he was such a good leader that he created a system and a process and a culture and an infrastructure that he could step out of at any time and the machine would keep humming along and run very, very smoothly. And that's ultimately what entrepreneurs should be doing is creating something that if you were to step out, everything will be just fine. And that again, takes tremendous humility because our egos want us all to feel so self-righteous and so self-important that it's like, yeah, if I step out and this whole thing crumbles, that shows everyone how important I am and how great I am. And that's very short-term thinking. So uh, not only do you want to make sure that you've prepared yourself financially for the future, especially if you have children, but you want to make sure that you've, you've created a culture for your business, that if something were to happen to you, those other 200 people would be fine and would keep humming along. Man, that's yeah. the truth. I could get on a big soapbox about that right now. <laughs> you know, cuz like I I think that's it. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of um misunderstanding especially in the entrepreneur space where people think that success is all about just making sales. And it's and that's a component of it. It's a super important component of it, but it is definitely not it. Right? Like you like business is and should be a system that works with all the moving pieces and parts yeah. working together. And you know we have a thing uh, in my business, uh, JNN, James not needed. Love that, right? And my whole goal is to continue to replace myself. Every next level that we get, I want to replace myself, and the next one after that. And I do think we a lot of us, and and I've been guilty of this at times, of course, as well. But I think we trip ourselves up with our ego, saying, "Hey, well, like if we if I replace myself and I'm not needed, then what?" Yeah, right. <laughs> and and I I think you're just asking the wrong question. Yes. I mean, that takes high security. Well, James, you always have a place here on the podcast. <laughs> well, that's until you replace me, Dean, right. because as I understand it, one of your your 66-day habit is trying to replace me. <laughs> right. Well, it's funny you mentioned the JNN because we, we also use that here in my company, <laughs> James. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's amazing. Um, well, Alan, thank you so much for your time, man. This has been a this has been a real pleasure having you on the show. I appreciate your wisdom, your insights, yeah. um, and your middle name. I think that's your, you're the first person with that unique middle name, Ballbuster. Um, so thank you for sharing well, that. Thank you guys for the too. opportunity, and thanks for being such great listeners and uh, love what you do. I'm a big fan, a big supporter. Thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners. Make sure you do that stuff that Alan was talking about. Like pick one thing, work on it relentlessly. You know, get accountability for it, and and just like dominate that one thing. It'll make a tremendous difference in your life and in your business. And uh, I'd love to hear your stories after you implement that. So thank you guys for being faithful listeners. 
share uh, share the podcast with those people that you think might really enjoy it. And we're going to wrap this thing up. This is James P. Friel signing off with my amazing co-host, Mr. Dean Holland. We will talk with you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in to Just the Tips, where we believe business should be profitable and fun. For show notes, links, and other information on our guests, visit justthetipshow.com. For more information on how to connect with Dean Holland, visit deanholland.com. And if you'd like to get free from the day-to-day operations of your business while making more money, visit me at jamespfreel.com forward slash autopilot. Our theme music is Happy Happy Game Show by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License.